Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. And I'm always thankful to be able to share the word with you guys. Uh, to be quite honest, it's actually not one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I've just been sweating all morning. Um, sorry if that's too much information. I tend to be a pretty vulnerable individual, but I really appreciate these moments. So we're in Matthew 13. We're in the parable of the sower. And it's important because it's not the parable of the soil, because that's not the main focus. It's the parable of the sower, who God is. And one of the main points that we should know, we need to know, and I'm not going to really talk a lot about, but one of the things, uh, fundamental points of the parable of the sower is that the seed is continuously spread. Okay? That is so fundamental to what we believe. But as I was researching this week, um, I came across a quote from Dr. John C. Bowling. You may not have heard of him, but Dr. Bowling, and he actually wrote a book on parables. It's called Windows and Mirrors or Mirrors and Windows, something like that. I didn't read the title. I read the quote. And he says this, and I want this to shape our time together. He says, good seed requires good soil in order to, or to bear good fruit. That's the formula of this parable. And I don't really want to focus on the first three soils today. I, I, I think that could be a little bit difficult. I think it could be a little bit overextended. And maybe in three years, Quanch will talk about that. But here, we're, not, we're just going to focus on the last soil, the good soil. And so, obviously, like we said, the seed is good because the seed is the gospel. And we believe in a good, loving, joyful gospel. That doesn't change. And that's a little bit of our testimony is that seed, that gospel is the same. So that is not a variable. That will change. So then the question is, is the soil good? And that's maybe a question we kind of have to ask ourselves today is, is this soil any good? Is, is the place in which I am receiving the gospel ready to receive and let it take root and embody to produce fruit? And I'm sure there's a ton of questions. I'm sure there's ways we can go about trying to seek if the soil is good, but maybe one of the best indicators is asking the question, and this is what we're going to ask today, is the fruit good? Is what is being produced within us good fruit that is 160 and 30 times what was sown? So that's what I want to ask today, is that fruit being any good? Because there is bad fruit, and we know that too. And so immediately, anytime I think of the fruit, I think of the fruit of the Spirit. And we just got through a whole semester-long uh, sermon series, the thematic series at the harbor that was based on fruit of the Spirit. It was called Fruitful. And so if you're a college student who attend the harbor, I am so sorry. We're going to kind of overlap a little bit today. And so today starts the first of a nine-set series on the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll see you next week, and I'm just going to push every speaker back after that, all right? I'm just kidding. We're just going to do it once. We're going to go through the fruit of the Spirit today, just today. And so the fruit of the Spirit, as you may know, written by Paul is the church in Galatia, and it's in chapter 5, and here's the fruit. There's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a couple basics we need to set out first before we dive into it. First and foremost, Paul is clear when he says it is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. So we don't necessarily get to pick and choose which fruit of the Spirit we get to be good at, right? 
It is a list that we kind of have to keep attending to. And it's actually, when Paul is describing this, he's saying when you're filled with the fullness of the Spirit, this is all of who God is, and this is all who God is calling you to be. It's all of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of it. The other thing he is saying is in Galatians 5, he's asking the church to walk toward the fruit of the Spirit, And as you're walking toward the fruit of the Spirit, toward the fullness of God, you would then be walking away the desires of the flesh, which takes up other parts of that chapter. And I don't know what your church taught, or I don't think I've never really seen it in this church, but there were times when I was growing up where the gospel or the preacher tended to communicate to us, um, don't do this, don't do this, and at some point you'll kind of just like back into God, right? Right? When really, when Paul is inviting us to the fullness of the Spirit of God, when God is extending that invitation to us, it is a movement toward, and as we're moving toward who of all God is, we are moving away from the desires of the flesh. Okay? So if we're moving towards patience, we're moving away from impatience. Okay, good. If we're moving away If we're moving toward joy, we're moving away from distress and sadness and lack of hope. And that's a lot of what the fruit of the Spirit is. The second thing is I love how Paul describes it as fruit because I'm not a gardener and I don't claim to be a gardener. But uh, I've heard uh, and YouTubed it that apparently it takes a while for fruit to be cultivated. So it is a step-by-step process. I would dare to say it's a sanctifying process. It's not necessarily overnight. It's not necessarily instantaneous. It's something that we as a church and we as individuals kind of keep, get to work on and work on as we move toward the fullness of who God is. And then lastly, and this might be the most important point of this, when Paul is writing this letter, it is both simultaneously an individual and a communal ask. And what I'm here to say is that, yes, we should be seeking the fruit of the Spirit individually, being filled with the Spirit individually, and holding ourselves aligned with that. But also as a community, it should be something we strive to. That, yes, are we a good soil individually, but are we a good soil as a church? And I think people always have metrics of what, does, what makes a good church, what makes a healthy church, what makes a fruitful church. Well, I would ask, how are we loving? How joyful are we as a people? And so on and so on and so on. That's something we as a group to get to do that communally together, but also individually. So today, again, I'm not going to go through all nine. We're going to go just on love. We're going to start with the first one. Because in another letter by Paul in Colossians 3, he kind of gives another list that's similar to the fruit of the Spirit. And he says that all of these are bound together in love. And so as I was studying the fruit of the Spirit this last semester, one of the things is love is kind of the basis of all the rest of them. That it's out of God's love for us that we can be joyful. It's out of God's love for us we can be a people of patience and so on and so on. So love's important and that's not new. I mean, in John 13, Jesus, after washing his disciples' feet, predicting Peter's denial and predicting Judas' betrayal, he says to the disciples, the people around you will know that you're my disciple based on your love. 
So love is important. And what I want to submit to you guys today is that the church does not know if we're not, we don't worry about if we should love. I think we know that. My worry is that we don't necessarily know how to love. And that love kind of gets this thing thrown around of like, oh, we love them. Um, yes, they're sinners, but we love them. Uh, we throw around phrases like um, love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh, we throw around all these things. So we, we, we know that in theory or hypothetically we can love. But in practice, my worry is that maybe the church isn't fully understanding how. And where my heart is at is how we love. One of the best ways we love is through forgiveness. So when I was going through the fruit of the spirit this last semester, I had this moment with Pastor Joel where uh, I walked in his office and he said a phrase that I had kind of been thinking the entire time. I don't know if you guys ever have that. We're like, I don't know if your spouse ever turns. You said, hey, we should do this. You're like, oh my word, I've just been thinking about that. Uh, Usually for Jackie and I after church, it's she'll go, do you want to go to Panda Express? And I'll be like, oh my word, yes. That's what I've been thinking about this whole time. Like those kind of moments where you kind of read each other's mind. That's unity in marriage. We're just right there together, right? And so I walk into Joel's office having something I wanted to say. But before I could, he turns to me and goes, grace is not a fruit of the spirit. And that took me aback a little bit. And he said, in the fruit of the spirit, we do not see forgiveness. We do not see grace. We do not see mercy. And I want to submit to you guys that that is what Paul is talking about when he says love. That unconditional love, the agape love that Paul is calling us to is practiced through unconditional grace. That's what we're going to walk through today. And here's how I'm going to prove it to you. It's actually really simple. It's really easy. How many of you all know the Lord's Prayer? Everyone? Okay. Can we say that together? You can say it in King James Version. I don't care. I'll probably say it in a mix between NIV and that. I don't know. But let's say that together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So in Luke's gospel... Luke reports that the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And then Jesus spells out the Lord's prayer to them. And what is very interesting to me, since I've been reading it, I've been reading it differently this past six months, seven months, is that nowhere in the Lord's prayer, in the Lord's prayer is love mentioned. And the only time that a neighbor is mentioned or others are mentioned is the theme of Forgiveness. As if Jesus were to say, when it comes to your neighbors, it's not love them, it's forgive them as I am forgiving you. It's not love them as I am loving you, it's forgive them as I am forgiving you. Unconditional love practiced through unconditional grace. In 1 John 4, which is what I consider to be the love chapter of the Bible, there's this 
definition of what love looks like. And I'm just going to read a couple of those verses for us. And it goes like this. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how God showed love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So how did God practice love? Well, he was putting a plan in place for forgiveness. He was looking to extend grace, and he did that through his son. That's what God's love is. And so I'm going to submit to you that if God is love, I'm also going to submit that God is grace. And if we're going to be a people known by our love, we have to be a people known by our grace. To God, love was not an emotion or a stance but an action taken for the benefit of his people. Love was a gift that we didn't deserve, that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, grace was being sent towards us. And that's a lot of our testimony, isn't it? That even before grace was asked for, even, for, even before forgiveness could be requested, Grace was given by the blood of the Lamb. And in Revelation 12, we have this picture of what defeats Satan and darkness. There are three things, but there are two things in particular that are really important for us today. How is darkness and sin defeated by the blood of the Lamb? We can't control that. We don't get to control it. That's already happened. And by the power of our testimony. So, I... I, um, I spend a lot of time with some people who are always saying phrases like, uh, the world is awful today. Uh, anyone ever around that? Um, that's super uplifting. And uh, phrases like, it used to be better, or we're heading in such a dark road, and it's awful, and it's, how do we fix this darkness? Well, here's, here's the solution to darkness, ready? By definition, by scientific definition, Darkness is the absence of light. So the solution to darkness, the solution to evil, the solution to all that is unhealthy and bad would be light. And so the solution for, uh, as John is writing in Revelations, the solution for what defeats evil would be our testimony. And what is our testimony? We were lost but then we were found, we were blind, but then we saw what we were sinning, Christ died for us. While we didn't deserve grace, grace was extended to us. Isn't that our testimony today? And so if we are going to be a people that is, I hate to say this negatively, infecting our community, overflowing into our community, it is going to be through the power of our testimony. And the power of our testimony is, I am forgiven, and you can be too. And so, if we're going to talk and show, if we're going to talk about forgiveness, maybe the best way about talking about forgiveness is actually showing forgiveness. And maybe the church, maybe us as individuals and us as a people together, individually and communally, we can commit to being a people that is gracious to each other as God has been gracious to us. I promised I wasn't going to do this. 
but I'm going to get political just for a second. I'm not going to take a stance. Don't worry. I'm going to step over here so I can make a quick exit if it goes poorly. <laughs> Student loan debt. <laughs> Wait. My issue with the argument that we've been having about things just don't get forgiven, that's literally our testimony as a body of believers. Amen. I'm not taking a stance. I'm not saying that there's something to do, but I don't think we should have people being like, oh, things just don't get forgiven. Everything is justice. Everything is always made right. That isn't our testimony. We are an undeserved people who have been showed grace that we do not deserve. That's our testimony. So I'm not saying which way you should stand on or anything like that, but I just don't think we should be people that's like, I just can't believe that that could happen. It's happened for me. I'm not a fan of evangelism that tells people they need to change. I'm a pretty big fan of evangelism that shows people the change within us. And so if we're going to be people saying that God's grace is for you, we should probably be a people that shows what God's grace has been towards us and extending that to the people around us. If we're going to love people unconditionally, we probably need to forgive them unconditionally. Yeah, Zach, you don't know what that person did to me. You're right, I don't. But grace. Yeah, Zach, but it's been a really long time, and it was all their fault and 0% my fault. Yeah, but reconciliation is a two-party game. And again, what is our testimony? I was lost, but I was found. That is grace seeking us. And that's not getting into boundaries of relationships. I get that. We should have healthy boundaries with the people we're in relationship with. But what is not off the table is our ability to forgive, our ability to have grace, our ability to reconcile with the people around us, our ability to be people of peace as much as that's up to us. So maybe grace is a posture that is not dependent on who's around us or what's around us, but what God's done for us. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band back up. We're almost done. So a couple years ago, I was on a road trip with my dad. We were, coming, uh, we were finishing up a lacrosse tournament. Uh, I don't know if you can tell by the everything about me, but I used to be athletic 10 years ago. And uh, we were coming home from a lacrosse tournament, and we were driving uh, from California to Vegas, and I was asking him about a situation that happened when we were kids. When I was about seven or eight, there was a situation that happened with our family and the church that we were at, and I just kind of asked, how did that go? Because I remember it really affecting us. And I'm not going to get into the details, even though the details are pretty good. Uh, they're pretty juicy, if I do say so myself. But uh, it doesn't really matter. But I asked my dad, how'd that go? And he just said, oh, it's all good. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, me and that person, we're reconciled. I was like, well, that, that took a lot on us. I mean, I remember as a kid, my mom and dad getting into arguments together over this situation those are core memories for me of this, the stress that was induced in this time. And it's all good. I mean, we don't even live near that person anymore. What happened? How did you get there? And he said, well, a couple years ago, my dad was a pastor, a preacher, 
and, he, and he's like, I was going to write, I had a sermon on reconciliation that coming Sunday. And as I was sitting there, I prayed, as I was praying to God, God, help shape this sermon, help prepare me for this sermon uh, on reconciliation. He felt it very clear, God saying, are you reconciled? And I think one of the roles that we forget as pastors, as believers, is before we go preaching anything, we need to let that fill us first. And so before we go evangelizing anywhere, that happens here first, right? Again, evangelism is what has happened with us. We need to be aware of what's been happening within us. And so I said, okay, so how did that go? He goes, well, I reached out to that person. I asked if we could get a meal. And so... I, my dad saying I drove four and a half hours out to uh, California and I sat down with that person and I asked for forgiveness and he forgave me. And I said, okay, I kind of remember that a little bit differently. I thought he hurt us. And he said, the spirit was not telling me in that moment to go ask for forgiveness or not to go receive forgiveness or beg for grace or beg to receive grace. My the Spirit was teaching me in that moment, you need to go extend, but ask for. I said, well, how did that go? Did the person ever ask you for free? He's like, no. I'm like, well, how do you feel about that? That doesn't really seem like reconciliation to me. He goes, no, that's, a, that's peace to what I can bring. And so again, maybe a posture of grace is not dependent on who's on the other end, but us. And I would hate for us to become a people that is always so focused on where the other people are at or what they need to do to get right with us. Because that is not our testimony. Our testimony is grace freely given, freely offered. And that's what we get to do individually and communally. But Zach, we believe in an unapologetic gospel. You're right, we do. We do not need to apologize for what God is doing and what God has done. But we are an apologetic people. And that's what's happening now. That's what's happened before. And that's what will come. We can't be a church. We can't be individuals that are not ready to ask for forgiveness and to reconcile situations. That can't be us. Because we were shown grace. We were shown love. And even though we don't deserve it, it was given freely. We didn't have to do any of that but to recognize it. So back to the parable. The good seed, the good soil, the good fruit. The good seed is a gospel centered on love and grace freely given. The good soil is taking that promise to heart and accepting that grace, but a good fruit is offering that exact same grace 30, 60, and 100 times fold to the people around us. Have I spoken the truth this morning? Would you say amen? Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. 
For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.